Hey folks, big news out of the Supreme Court this week. In a win for Texas, the court left in place the law that bans most abortions after six weeks of gestation. However, the court will permit a case brought by abortion providers to proceed in the lower courts against a group of Texas medical licensing officials. In other news, former President Trump and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows are facing off against the January 6th committee in a pair of lawsuits seeking to block the release of information to the committee. Meanwhile, a PowerPoint presentation shared among Trump allies shows the drastic measures that members of Trump's own orbit were considering to overturn the 2020 election results. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with the listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as part of the insider community. The other big story, of course, as we mentioned at the outset, is the continuing efforts of the January 6th committee to figure out what happened, who's responsible, who to be held accountable, etc. Most of the news this week is about Mark Meadows, former member of Congress, former chief of staff to President Trump when he was in office. I guess you could call it a saga, which would be an understatement. <laughs> and, and I just, I wonder, Joyce, what you think about what the hell is happening. We'll get to the documents that were produced and everything else and the flimsiness of his executive privilege arguments. But sometimes it's useful just to understand at a human level, why certain people make certain efforts and play certain games. So Mark Meadows was in the White House, not like Steve Bannon, outside the White House. Mark Meadows looked like he was going to be defiant. Then he basically said he was cooperating. And you and I both said, well, that's maybe a result of Steve Bannon being indicted. And he does cooperate to some extent, right? He, he gives over, over a lot of documents. 6,000 pages of documents, yeah. including some that we're going to quote from in a moment because they're bonkers crazy. And he gives them over. And then suddenly he says, he's not going to come and testify. He's not even going to give testimony on the documents that he's provided that he claims are not privileged. So how could testimony about that be privileged? It's an utterly asinine, bizarre, you know, upside down argument. And in the middle of all of that, he publishes a book. Oh yeah, the book. I forgot about, <laughs> forgot about the about book. It, right? I mean, it's so something the, happened, right? Did the former guy get yeah. to him? Something happened, right? Isn't that the question that we ask about everybody from the start of the Trump presidency going forward? You would look at the thing that otherwise sane people would do, and you would always have to ask yourself, did the former guy get to him? And then you would feel like you were a conspiracy theorist for even entertaining that notion, but not at this point. Let's not make it so specific then. Do you agree with me that the plans changed? That if it was always your intent not to come and testify in any way, that you would not have begun by giving over 6,000 documents. That makes, would any lawyer advise that? Would any lawyer say that makes sense? You are absolutely right. The plan clearly changed at some point in time, probably when Trump uh, made it clear that he wasn't a fan of the book, right? Yeah. So I think we can all agree that there was a change of plan. And the question is, why the change of plan? And, you know, people have speculated other reasons as well. Somebody, I think I think you retweeted, I think our colleague Asha Rangappa had a theory, right? Which is something along the lines of maybe he's more prepared to risk a potential contempt of Congress charge than being caught between a rock and a hard place and feeling compelled to lie to Congress, which is a much more serious crime. 
What do you think of that? You know, I thought it was a, a good theory that Asha had. It might be better to try to tough it out here and hope executive privilege gets him through than to find himself in a congressional inquiry and not testifying fully, truthfully. And isn't that the pivot point here? When is someone going to finally come forward and tell the truth? And I maybe have a sense this week that that's happening with this committee to some extent. We know that Mike Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short, is cooperating with the committee. That sort of adds to the pressure on Mark Meadows because it means other people are telling the truth. They may not know all of Mark Meadows' truth, but it does put him at risk if he goes in and tells a partial version of the truth and the committee knows more. Can I compliment the committee for a moment? Because, you know, there, there have been times that you and I and previously Ann and I have not always complimented congressional committees and how they conduct themselves. I think an example of these folks doing a very good job is the document, the resolution, in favor of recommending that there be a vote to refer him for criminal prosecution to the DOJ. And it is not a minimalist document, right? It goes on page after page, citing to, quoting from, some of these documents that Mark Meadows himself turned over to make the argument that his claims of privilege are nonsensical. And it does it in a very compelling way. You almost, no, you don't really feel sorry for Mark Meadows, but you almost feel like <laughs> you sometimes see there's really no adequate response to this. The fact that you've turned, I just keep repeating myself because it is how I find it so bizarre that you can argue with a straight face. I gave you these documents and you have to say, to maintain a privilege argument later, you can't say, oh, well, shoot, I've changed my mind about whether or not they're privileged, right? Even if you had a change of, see, this is the problem for him in the dilemma. If at the outset, they were going to be difficult, like Steve Bannon is, you take an overly broad view in argument and you say, I'm not going to give you any these documents because they're all, they're all privileged. But then if you decide you're going to cooperate, and then you go halfway and you provide the documents, you necessarily are saying in order to have some privilege arguments later, that the documents I provided were not privileged. Whereas at the outset, is this making any sense? So you're forced into a corner to say that they're not privileged. And then to avoid testifying, you have to take the further bizarre position that I can't testify about non-privileged documents because that would violate privilege. And so this, this change of heart that happened in the middle has kind of screwed him up. You know, it's funny that when you and I talked about Bannon, I think we both were of the view that although Bannon presented a clear case for indictment, it, it could be more difficult with people who, for instance, were working in the White House. And so to your point, the committee does a great job, I think, of anticipating that sort of problem and whether DOJ is willing to move on it or not, giving DOJ compelling reasons for why what Meadows does is, is closer to what Bannon did, this sort of total refusal to comply. Yes, he's turned over documents, but when it comes to testimony, turning over the documents actually makes it, it worse for him. But I was tickled this morning, Barb McQuaid and some of our other former colleagues and I were going back and forth about that on Twitter and calling out the hypocrisy. And our former boss, Eric Holder, sort of stepped in and said, uh, attention, folks, you know, the whole point here on executive privilege is that it's Joe Biden's call to make, not Donald Trump. So none of this stuff is relevant. And I was tickled. It's so easy to forget that Holder is, a, is really a bona fide constitutional law scholar. But I think he's right. Look, there are a number of reasons why he should be 
testifying and why this is not privileged. You mean Mark Meadows, not Eric Holder, right? No, no. <laughs> he had his chance. No, Mark, Mark Meadows, and chief among them, is it the current president who generally holds the, uh, the right to waive privilege has said the need is such that he's not asserting executive privilege over these documents and these communications. That's number one. Second, relatedly and, and also subsumed within the first reason is the extraordinary need for the American public to get the facts and understand what happened so we can protect our nation and our democracy further. And then on top of that, you have the waiver. You have the documents that were produced and you have the book in which he's talking about all sorts of stuff. And by the way, he and other folks keep going on Steve Bannon's podcast to talk about stuff that they claim they can't talk about to the committee. So up and down and across the line, it's a terrible argument. It's just a basket full of meshuggas. And and even there, you know, something that I think we haven't quite got to the point where we have to decide this yet, but there's this whole issue of whether um, plotting an insurrection falls within executive privilege. Is that really the work of the presidency or no, is it something else? That's reason number, you know, nine, why he has to come testify. Now, look, the other thing that's interesting about the documents that have been produced and the other reporting and some of the stuff in the congressional resolution is just how central Mark Meadows was to all this. You know, when, you, when you start thinking about who's most blameworthy and who tried the hardest to engage in a slow-moving coup, more and more looks like Mark Meadows, right? He, he had, loved it. He loved it. Yeah, you want to tell people what you're talking about? <laughs> you know, there's, there's so much in the documents that the committee references. And so this is this um, November 6, 2020 text exchange that Meadows has with an unidentified member of Congress. And they're talking about the possibility of appointing alternate electors in certain states. And the member says that that plan would be highly controversial. And Meadows, echoing uh, Donald Trump Jr., right, in the Trump Towers meeting, says, I love it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's a famous phrase among Trumpites. He has another text exchange in which he talks about how the National Guard will protect pro-Trump people. Unbelievable. He's getting warned that things have gotten crazy and something needs to be done. And we've already known, by the way, from before, that he was getting on the phone and talking with both Justice Department officials and Georgia officials to try to get them to do the wrong thing as well. So he's in the thick of all of this. You know, the Georgia stuff is particularly, I think, concerning. That is clearly not part of the executive branch's work to have Georgia find additional votes to favor the president. The most benign interpretation of that is that it's part of the campaign's work. So to refuse to answer questions about a call that we have all heard the audio of, something that can't be denied, do you think DOJ is actually going to be moved by this when it lands in their lap? Will they do something to help the committee? I don't know. You and I have had this conversation, Adam Schiff and I have had this conversation, and I trust and respect, and more than that, you know, I have a very strong, favorable feelings about the leadership at DOJ, some of whom are friends of ours, but it's unclear what they're doing specifically with respect to high-level people like Mark Meadows and others when it comes to investigating their role in what may be part of a criminal conspiracy. I don't know, and I don't know what all the evidence is, and that's what this committee is trying to get to the bottom of but I don't know. Sometimes it feels a little bit like the committee is doing the work that you would expect the FBI to be doing. But as you say, I mean, we don't know. And I think so many people have been quick to jump the gun and, and judge what's going on at DOJ and Judge Merrick Garland. 
ultimately, the reality is I don't think we'll be able to make those kind of assessments until this is over because we have no way of knowing what's coming. Yeah, look, and maybe there will be material in what the committee does, which is additional fodder for the Justice Department to do something. You and I have both speculated that the House may fall to the Republicans, and if that happens, this committee is shut down. And so that committee's work will end, but the Biden Justice Department will be in place for another two years. And so there could still be consequences. I want to talk about this PowerPoint that's got yeah, a lot of attention. Yeah, I was going to ask if you wanted to talk about the PowerPoint. I don't know if it's 36 pages or 38 pages. It gets referred to by both page counts. I'm too lazy to count the pages. There are two different versions, right? There's the Meadows yes. version and there's another version. Yeah, but, but they're, they're substantially very similar. Very similar, yeah. And I think it's both been underhyped and overhyped. The way that it's been underhyped is it's just batshit crazy. <laughs> Some of the things in here that in normal circumstances, people be running around with their hair on fire, that there's a PowerPoint document being circulated among the highest officials in the United States government, including in the White House, after an election was fairly lost by Trump or fairly won by Biden, if you want to put it that way. And there are recommendations in this PowerPoint that include mind-boggling phrases, including, you know, this series of recommendations, brief senators and congressmen on foreign interference declare national security emergency, foreign influence and control of electronic voting systems, declare electronic voting in all states invalid, legal and genuine paper ballot counts or constitutional remedy delegated to Congress. That's taking extraordinary action. But can we just stop for a minute at declare national security emergency? I mean, is that martial law? What is that? What's funny is it's just it's a bullet point <laughs> under recommendations with not a lot of explanation. It's sugar, right? I mean, it's the crazy. This is a terrible, terrible, terrible analogy. It was one of my favorite jokes from Steve <laughs> Martin in the old days, when he's like, you know, I'm going to get it wrong and people will email and and text and correct me. But it's like I have I have a, a you know a three step process to be a millionaire and get everything you ever wanted. Step number one, get a million dollars. Right? It's like it's like here, you know, a multi-step process to getting the to, to overturn the election. Step number one: declare national security emergency. Based on what? And I mean, it would be funny, right, if this wasn't something that the guy sitting in the Oval Office was seriously considering, and that now Mark Meadows thinks he has no obligation to show up in front of the House and testify about. So, may I mention why I think it's possible that this has also been overhyped? I haven't seen every bit of reporting, but it's not clear to me that this PowerPoint was created in the government. I also take at face value what Mark Meadows and I think his lawyer has said, which is one reason he said this was a Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, Head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. 